Section 2 of An Itinerant House and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Grzynski. An Itinerant House and Other Stories by Emma Frances Dawson. An Itinerant House, Part 2. The music closed round us, and we waited in its deep solitude. One brief sad phrase fell from airy heights to lowest depths into a sea of sound, whose harmonious eddies, as they widened, breathed of passion and pain, now swooning, now reviving, with odd pauses and sighs that rose to cries of despair but the tormenting first strain recurring fainter and fainter, as if drowning, drowning, drowned, yet floating back for repeated last plaint, as if not to be quelled, and closing as it began the whole. As I read the name of my verses, Volz murmured, La Nuit Blanche, Number 4, Stephen Heller. Sleepless Nights Against the garden's mossy piling I lean and wish the night away, whose faint, unequal shadows trailing seem but a dream of those of day. Sleep burdens, blossom, bud, and leaf, my soul alone aspires, dilates, yearns to forget its care and grief. No bath of sleep its pain abates. How dread these dreams of wide-eyed nights, what is and is not, both, I rue. My wild thoughts fly like wandering kites. No peace falls with this balmy dew. Through slumbrous stillness, scarcely stirred by sudden trembles, as when shifts o'er placid pool, some skimming bird, its lethean bowl, a poppy lifts. If one deep draught my doubts could solve, the world might bubble down its brim, like Cleopatra's pearl dissolve with all my dreams within its rim. What should I know but calm repose? How feel recalling this lost sphere? Alas, the fabled poppy shows upon its bleeding heart a tear. Wynne unwillingly began to recite, I fear nothing. But dreams are dreams, he stammered, could not go on, and fell to the floor. We got him to bed. He never spoke sanely after. His wild fancies appalled us, watching him all night. Avant, Satanas! That's not my cue, he murmured. A full house tonight. How could Tama forget how the crowd looked? And fancy it a pack of skeletons? Tell Volz to keep the violins playing through this scene. It works me up as well as thrills the audience. Oh, what tiresome nights I have lately, always dreaming of scenes where rival women move, as in court and stage, where all masked, the king makes love to Francis Stuart before the queen's face. How do I try to cure it? And being thus frighted, swear a prayer or two, and sleep again. Madame, you're late. You've too little rouge. You'll look ghastly. We're not called yet. Let's rehearse our scene. Now then, I enter left, pass to the window. You cry, Is this true? And faint. All crowd about. Quick curtain. 
Volz and I looked at each other. "'Can our magnetism make his senses so sharp that he knows what is in our minds?' he asked me. "'Nonsense,' I said. "'Memory, laudanum, and whiskey.' "'There,' we went on, "'the orchestra is stopping. "'They've rung up the curtain. "'Don't hold me. "'The stage waits. "'Yet how can I go outside my door to step on dead bodies? "'Street and sidewalk are knee-deep with them. "'They rise and curse me for disturbing them. "'I lift my cane to strike. "'It turns to a snake whose slimy body writhes in my hand.' Trying to hold it from biting me, my nails cut my palm till blood streams to drown the snake. He awed us not alone from having no control of his thoughts, but because there came now and then a strange influx of emotion, as if other souls passed in and out of his body. "'Is this hell?' he groaned. "'What blank darkness! Where am I?' What is that infernal music haunting me through all space? If I could only escape it, I need not go back to earth, to that room where I feel choked, where the very wallpaper frets me with its flaunting birds flying to and fro, mocking my fettered state. Here, here in the very den of the wolf. Hello, Benvolio. Callboy's hunting you. Romeo's gone on. See where he steals. Locked in some gloomy covert, under key of cautionary silence, with his arms threaded like these crossbows in sorrow's knot. What is this dread that weighs like a nightmare? I do not fear, like Macbeth, I only inhabit trembling. For one of them, she is in hell already and burns, poor soul. For the other, ah, must I die here alone in the woods? felled by a coward Indian-like from behind a tree? None of the boys will know. I just now come from the whole world of mad women that had almost... What? Is she dead? Poor Philippa. Did you tell him her name? I asked Waltz. No, said he. Can one man's madness be another's real life? Blood was spilt. The Avenger's wing hovered above my house raved Wynne. What are these lights? Hundreds of them. Serpent's eyes? Is it the audience? Coiled, many-headed monster, following me round the world? Why do they hiss? I've played this part a hundred times, taught by rage and hunger and despair. Do they, full-fed, well-clothed, light-hearted, know how to judge me? A plague on both your houses! What is that flame? fire that consumes my vitals, spontaneous combustion? It is then possible? Water! Water! The doctor said there had been some great strain on Wynne's mind. He sank fast. Although we did all we could, toward morning I turned to Volz with these words. He is dead. The city missionary was passing the open door. He grimly muttered, "'Better dead than alive!' "'My God, say not that!' cried Volz. "'The nerve which hears is the last to die. "'He may know!' he faltered. "'We stood aghast. "'The room grew suddenly familiar. "'I tore off a strip of the grey tint on the walls. "'Under it we found the old paper with its bright macaws. "'Aha!' Volz said. "'Will you now deny my theory of far-working?' "'Dazed, 
I could barely murmur. Then people can be affected by it. Certainly, said he, as rubbed glasses gain electric power. Within a week we sailed, he for Brazil, I for New York. Several years after, at Sacramento, Arne, an artist I had known abroad, found me on the overland train, and on reaching San Francisco urged me to go where he lodged. I am low-spirited here, he said. I don't know why. I stopped short on the crowded wharf. Where do you live? I asked. Far up Market Street, said he. What sort of a house? I insisted. Oh, nothing modern. Over a store, he answered. Reassured, I went with him. He lived in a jumble of easels, portfolios, paint, canvas, bits of statuary, casts, carvings, foils, red curtains, Chinese goatskins, woodcuts, photographs, sketches, and unfinished pictures. On the wall hung a scene from The Wandering Jew, as we saw it at the Adelphi in London, where in the Arctic regions he sees visions foreshadowing the future of his race. Under it was quoted, All in my mind is confused nor can I dissever the mold of the visible world from the shape of my thought in me. The inward and outward are fused, and through them murmur forever the sorrow whose sound is the wind and the roar of the limitless sea. Do you remember, Arne asked, when we saw that play, both younger and more hopeful, how has the world used you? As for me, I have done nothing since I came here but that sketch, finished months ago. I have not lost ambition, but I feel fettered. Absinthe, opium, tobacco, I hinted. Neither, he answered. I try to work, but visions widely different from what I will crowd on me, as on the Jew in the play. Not the unconscious brain action all thinkers know, but a dictation from without. No rush of creative impulses but a dragging sense of something else I ought to paint. Briefly, I said, you are a haunted man. Haunted by a willful design, said he. I feel as if something had happened somewhere which I must show. What is it like? I asked. I wish I could tell you, he replied. But only odd bits change places, like looking in a kaleidoscope. Yet all cluster around one center. One day, looking over his portfolios, I found an old temple bar, which he said he kept for this passage, which he read to me from T. A. Trollope's Artist's Tragedy. The old walls and ceilings and floors must be saturated with the exhalations of human emotions. These lintels, doorways, and stairs have become, by long use and homeliness, dear to human hearts and have become so intimately blended a portion of the mental furniture of human lives that they have contributed their part to the formation of human characters. Such facts and considerations have gone to the fashioning of the mental habitudes of all of us. If all could have been recorded, if emotion had the property of photographing itself on the surfaces of the walls which had witnessed it, even if only passion when translated into acts, could have done so. Ah, what palimpsests! What deciphering of tangled records! What skillful separation of successive layers of passionography! I know a room, said Arne, 
thronged with acts that elbow me from my work and fill me with unrest. I looked at him in mute surprise. I suppose, he went on, such things do not interest you. No. Yes, I stammered. I have marked in traveling how lonely houses change their expression as you come near, pass, and leave them. Some frown, others smile. The Bible buildings had life of their own, and human diseases, the priests cursed or blessed them as men. Houses seem to remember, said he. Some rooms oppress us with a sense of lives that have been lived in them. That, I said, is like Draper's theory of shadows on walls always staying. He shows how, after a breath passes over a coin or key, its spectral outline remains for months after the substance is removed. But can the mist of circumstance sweeping over us make our vacant places hold any trace of us? Why not? Who can deny it? Why do you look at me so? he asked. I could not tell him the sad tale. I hesitated, then said, I was thinking of Volz, a friend I had, who not only believed in what Bulwer calls a power akin to mesmerism and superior to it, once called magic, and that it might reach over the dead so far as their experience on earth, but also an animal magnetism from any distance. Arne grew queerly excited. If time and space exist but in our thoughts, why should it not be true, said he? MacDonald's lover cries, That which has been is, and the past can never cease. She is mine, and I shall find her. What matters it when, or where, or how? He sighed. In Acapulco a year ago, I saw a woman who has been before me ever since, the center of the circling, changing, crude fancies that trouble me. Did you know her? I asked. No, nor anything about her. Not even her name. It is like a spell. I must paint her before anything else, but I cannot yet decide how. I feel sure she has played a tragic part in some life drama. Swinburne's Queen of Panthers, I hinted. Yes, but I was not in love. Love I must forego. I am not a man with an income. I know you are not a nincompoop, I said, always trying to change such themes by a jest. I could not tell him I knew a place which had the influence he talked of. I could not revisit that house. Soon after, he told me he had begun his picture, but would not show it. He complained that one figure kept its back toward him. He worked on it till he fell ill. Even then he hid it. Only a layer of passionography, he said. I grew restless. I thought his mood affected mine. It was a torment as well as a puzzle to me that his whole talk should be of the influence of houses, rooms, even personal property that had known other owners. Once I asked him if he had anything like the brown coat Sheridan swore drew ill luck to him. Sometimes, I think, he answered, it is this special brown paint artist's prize which affects me. It is made from the best asphaltum, and that can be got only from Egyptian mummy cloths. Very likely dust of the mummies is ground in it. I ought to feel their ill will. 
one day i went to sausalito in the still woods i forgot my unrest till coming to the stream where as i suddenly remembered anson was found dead a dread took me which i tried to lose by putting into rhyme turning my pockets at night i crumpled the page i had written on and threw it on the floor in uneasy sleep i dreamed i was again in paris not where i liked to recall being but at bullier's and in wartime the bald spectacle leader of the orchestra leaning back shamming sleep while a dancing stamping screaming crowd wave tricolored flags and call for the chant du deport three thousand voices in a rushing roar that makes the twenty thousand lights waver in spasmodic but steady chorus les departs parts parts les departs parts parts les departs parts parts roused i suppose by passing rioters i did not try to sleep again but rose to write a letter for the early mail as i struck a light i saw smoothed out on the table the wrinkled page i had cast aside the ink was yet wet on two lines added to each verse a chill crept over me as i read forest murmurs across the woodland bridge i pass and sway its three long narrow planks to mark how gliding waters glass bright blossoms doubled ranks on ranks and how through tangle of the ferns floats incense from veiled flower urns what would the babbling brook reveal what may these trembling depths conceal dread secret of the dense woods held with restless shudders horror spelled how shift the shadows of the wood as if tossed in troubled sleep strange whispers vaguely understood above me around me creep while in the sombre shadowed stream great scarlet splashes far down gleam the odd reflected stately shapes of cardinals in crimson capes not those but spectral pools of blood that stain these sands through strongest flood like blare of trumpets through black nights or sunset clouds before a storm are these red phantom water sprites that mock me with fantastic form with flitting of the last year's bird fled ripples that its low flight stirred how should these rushing waters learn aught but the bend of this year's fern the lonesome wood with bated breath hints of a hidden blow and death i could not stay alone i ran to arne's room as i knocked the falling of some light thing within made me think he was stirring i went in he sat in the moonlight back to me before his easel the picture on it might be the one he kept secret i would not look i went to his side and touched him he had been dead for hours i turned the unseen canvas to the wall next day i packed and planned to go east i paid the landlady not to send arne's body to the morgue and watched it that night when a sudden memory swept over me like a tidal wave there was a likeness in the room to one where i had before watched the dead yes there were the windows there the doors just here stood the bed in the same spot i sat what wildness was in the air of san francisco 
to put such crazy thoughts to flight, I would look at Arne's last work. Yet I wavered, and more than once turned away after laying my hand on it. At last I snatched it, placed it on the easel, and lighted the nearest gas burner before looking at it. Then, great heavens! How had this vision come to Arne? It was the scene where Philippa cursed us. Every detail of the room reproduced, even the gay birds on the wallpaper and her flower pots. The figures and faces of Daring and Volz were true as hers, and in the figure with averted face which Arne had said kept its back to him, I knew myself. What strange insight had he gained by looking at Philippa? It was like the man who trembled before the unknown portrait of the Marquis de Brinvilliers. How long I gazed at the picture I did not know. I heard without heeding the doorbell ring and steps along the hall. Voices. Someone looking at rooms. The landlady saying this room was to let, but unwilling to show it, forced to own its last tenant lay there, dead. This seemed no shock to the stranger. Well, said her shrill tones, poor as he was, he's better dead than alive. The door opened as a well-known voice cried, My God, say not that. The nerve which hears is the last to die. Volz stood before me, awestruck. We looked at each other in silence. Then he waved his hand to and fro before his eyes. Is this a dream, he said? There pointing to the bed. You. To me. The same words. The very room. Is it our fate? I pointed to the picture and to Arne, the last work of this man who thought it a fancy sketch. While Volt stood dumb and motionless before it, the landlady spoke. Then you know the place. Can you tell what ails it? There had been suicides in this room. No one prospers in the house. My cousin, who is a house mover, warned me against taking it. He says, before the store was put under it, here it stood on Bush Street, and before that, on Telegraph Hill. Volz clutched my arm. It is the flying Dutchman of a house, he cried, and drew me fast downstairs and out into the dense fog which made the world seem a tale that was told blotting out all but our two slanting forms, bent, as by what poor Wynne would have called, a blast from hell, hurrying blindly away. I heard the voice of Volz, as if from afar. The magnetic man is a spirit. End of section two.